The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. All right now. Clap real big. Clap real big. Balcony, you look beautiful. Come on, floor, you look beautiful. Clap real big. Big day. Everybody all right? Everybody's cool as the other side of the pillar? My favorite Stuart Scott line, he died way too soon. ESPN commentator, sportscaster, he said, cool as the other side of the pillar. And I received that. I think Stuart Scott had a little bit of what I have in me and him because he said a lot of things that I wished I'd have said first. Good to see everybody. It really is. Today's a beautiful day. We're going we're to pray for our children today. School's back in session. Can I get a good boo? <laughs> Hadn't been booed in a while. Can I get a good boo? <laughs> back in session. That means that mom, if you've got kids that are school age, you get to, get to shop a little bit at the mall for a little while. You can just drop the kids off and say, honey, I'll be back after a while. I've got some errands to run. You can go shop. And the husband just, he don't think no different. He'll just say, well, she's just running errands and you're spending his money. That's good. <laughs> and then uh, husbands, you can, you can pick them up in the afternoon and come home with them. And it's, it's just, you just got, you got some wonderful times and school's a wonderful thing. It really, really is. We're going to pray today for our kids to be protected and to be blessed. And all of them won't make straight A's. I know that. But we're asking God to give them a great, great year in school this year. You believe that? They're going to have a great year. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. We showed a little video at the first, uh, the first service. We showed a little video of, uh, of our uh, uh, summer blast that happened last weekend. And 49 children were water baptized last Sunday right here in a tank outside. What a, what a great day it was. And, and we're going to put online, uh, we did a beautiful little uh, tribute to that, and we're going to put it online. So go home this afternoon or tomorrow and pull it up. It's, it's, it's a tremendous thing. You'll love it. It's, an, it's, an, it's a neat thing. I love, I love the way our, our video department put that together. Thank you guys so much for a beautiful job, and it was splendid. And uh, we're back on vacation. And we're happy to be home, and it's an honor to be back in the pulpit. This is the first time in three weeks that y'all have heard me talk, and it'll probably be uh, not as good as you've heard the last two weeks. But that's all right. We're here. Every time I leave, I want you folks to have the very best, and I believe that God gave you the very best the last two weeks. And we enjoyed Pastor Reed. We enjoyed Pastor Scott week before, and it's just an awesome thing. Would you stand? Will you stand to your feet? You're incredible people, and I love you very, very much. And uh, we're going to dedicate babies today. How many mothers have brought your children to be dedicated to the Lord today? Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand if you brought children to be dedicated to the Lord today? All right. I see no mothers. Uh, there's one right there. All right. All right. Here's another one over here. Somebody help me. Here's who else? I see somebody pointing. I thought, I thought you was having your baby dedicated. Balcony. All right. The balcony. All right. When we get ready, we'll do that at the end of service. That'll be the last thing that we will do. We're going to honor our children today and pray for them also. So my message today is going to be short. It's going to be, it's going to be contained. It's going to be like a, we used to call it when we first started preaching, like a sermonette today. And uh, a sermonette, you know, is 
They, they, many, many people say a sermon that's preached by a Christianette. He's not a full Christian. But we're going to give you a short version today. And, and you might like it so much you might want me to preach sermonettes every Sunday from now on out. But I'm going I'm to talk to you today about the woman of Tekoa. Now, you'll find her story. I'm not going to take time to read this text because I'm going to get into the substance of what I want to speak about. But you'll find her story in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 14. Don't go there now. I want you to listen to me now. But go there later and read this story because it's the whole chapter. The whole chapter contains what I'm going to try to cover in about the next 18 or 20 minutes. And so the Lord bless you real good. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor today. And you may be seated in the name of the Lord. You're awesome people. There was a pastor that went out to California, preached in L.A. several years ago, and he, thinking he had done well, he greeted people as they left the sanctuary. We don't normally do that unless we feel like we've done well. And many remarks were complimentary until a little old man commented, you preached way too long, preacher. And the man couldn't understand. He wasn't phased by the remark in light of the many positive comments. But same old man came up the second time and he said, you didn't preach loud enough. We couldn't hear you. Bass thought it was strange that the man had come through the line twice. And when the same man came through the line the third time, he exclaimed, you used too many big words. So now the preacher's upset. Now he's bothered. So he goes and finds a deacon and he said, do you, uh, do you see that little old man standing over there? I said, do you know who he is? The deacon said, oh, don't pay any attention to him. All he does is go around and just repeats everything he hears. <laughs> I love the story of the pastor that was in the hospital one day and the board of director leader from the church brought the pastor a hospital resolution get well a resolution from the board to get well and to get well soon the vote was 23 for and 18 against <laughs> some people don't want the preacher to get well a married couple had a boy that was difficult to raise and so he caused all kinds of trouble in school neighborhood and home and one year the couple went on a trip to europe and uh, when the boy stayed with the relatives god bless the relatives and they went from one country to another and they would send back postcards to their sons from the sites that they saw at these countries. They visited France and Germany and Greece. And while in Greece they sent back a postcard to their son with this message. Today on our tour we came to a cliff over which Greek women were said to have once thrown their defective children. And they closed it, wish you were here. <laughs> Miles may separate a parent from a from a from a child, but the umbilical cord of love is rarely torn asunder. One of the tragedies of life occurs when parents and kids are separated not, nearly, not merely by school or job responsibilities, but by angry words and by rash deeds and that can sever the ties that binds parents and kids together. We've all disagreed with our parents when we were kids, and now that many of you are parents, you find you're arguing things that your parents used to argue on the same line that you argue now to your kids. So if we're parents, we have not always agreed that curfew time should be at 3 in the morning, you know. We're more like 10 in the evening. Or it would be such a good idea to drop out of school in the 7th grade. We're not really for that, are we? Parents, thank you. Disagreements are natural in every parent-child relationship. 
teenage rebellion against parents is, I think, just part of growing up, whether it's massive or small, it's, it's all a part because we want to get our wings and fill our wings. But the problem comes when both parent and children are adults and have come to distrust and at times even hate each other. That's what we've got to fix. Roberta Flack sang a song several years ago, the first time ever I saw your face. David had not heard this song, but sang a melancholy lyric of his own. Misery's making. David did not hate his son Absalom. He really didn't, but was angered and disappointed in him. The apple of his eye, Absalom, had proved to be the worst apple in the barrel. By the way, speaking of apples, on your way out today, we got a bunch of apples out there for your kids and your you parents to get on your way out because every teacher needs an apple. And they need that apple without you biting into it. <laughs> so when you go out today, get an apple for your teacher. And dad, mom, get an apple for yourself. It's just a little gift from the church. Absalom had murdered his half-brother Amnon who had raped their sister. Then he had fled north to Galilee with his wife to get out of the range of the law. And David had a deep love and devotion for Absalom. And he never, he never left his broken heart from him. Joab was chairman of the chief joints of staff and daily he watched David's mind drift from the duty that he had as the king to being a dad that was sad and, and forlorn by the loss of a relationship with the boy. And he watched David's mind descend to the black cesspool of senility and he observed the decline of a man that he loved in office and Joab loved David. And his watchful eyes were not closed to the people of Israel who were losing confidence in their king and in their government, the great line of the tribe of Judah had become as meek as a newborn lamb. Joab decided to revive the spirits of his commander-in-chief. And so he traveled to a country called Tekoa, the place which would later cradle the head of the prophet Amos. And there on the outskirts of the barren Judea desert, he met a wise woman noted for her storytelling ability. Together, Joab and the lady created this fictitious parable. I had, a young, I had a young man preach here several years ago. Don't ask me who it is or I'll tell you. No, I mean I won't tell you. But he was here several years ago and he told one of the most phenomenal stories I've ever heard in my life. I said, man, can I borrow that? I want to use that. And that's one of the greatest stories I ever heard. He said, Pastor, I made that up several weeks ago. It's called a parable. He would have fit with the woman of Tekoa. She dressed in black as if she were in mourning. She came to the palace. Joab was the one that was the gatekeeper, and so he allowed her to pass through to get to the presence of the king. And she was brought to David's throne, and the weary king bent his ear to listen to her sad tale. And the peasant mother told him a story one day about her sons, an older brother and a younger brother who had a fight in the field, and the older brother killed the younger brother. And with tears flowing down her weathered face, the grieving mother implored David to forgive her Firstborn, she said, she feared that without benefit of the king's pardon, the Bedouin code of honor would demand the lad's life. And without her son, she would be deprived of grandchildren and family and hope and even a reservoir of help in her old days. There was not much left in her life. David was roused up from the apathy, from his apathy, and vowed that the murderer would live because this woman had come to him. But quickly his mind saw through the tale, it was just too pat. See, three chapters earlier, he'd been taken again by a parable by a man, a prophet named Nathan, who had told him about a man that had one ewe lamb. 
when he was telling him about David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And he was a sucker for parables, and Nathan had gotten to him, yet he also mourned a murdered son called Amnon. So he was torn between the murdered son that needed to have something done right in his life and the murderer Absalom, who was also his son that he needed to pardon and to help. And David loved the deceased son and the lost son, but, he, but his words, the words that she said stung him deeply. And the woman of Tekoa gave a testament to him. She said three powerful truths in her testament. And this is all I'm going to preach today because I'm not going to go long. She, got, she gave him three things. The first thing she said to him, she said, King, I know we all must die. We're water spilled on the ground. It cannot be taken back. You can't retrieve it. I got a bottle of water here. By the way, I used water in the first service, and I'm going to use it in the second service. And I'm throwing water on the stage, not on the ground, but I'm just throwing it on the stage. When service is over today, it'll be all dried because once you spill water, you cannot get it back. What I'm trying to say is things that have been done in your life have been done in your life. Things that you wished you could have gone back and fixed, you can't go back and fix. You can't go back and redo them. You can't relive life again. I don't care how many shows are on TV about going and redoing the future, redoing the past so the future will be different. You can't redo that. What's done is done. We're all going to die. and We're all as water spilled on the ground and you can't retrieve the water. Oh, I'd love to reach down and pick this up and try to drink it, but I can't drink it because it's gone. I want to declare to some people in this house today that the mistakes that you have made in your life and the mistakes that you have had hell bother you with for so long, they are forgotten because you've got somebody in this house that says, I can take care of your past just like I can take care of your present and your future. I wish I could hear somebody's voice today tell me, preach, pastor, because I want to tell you the blood of Jesus is the most powerful thing that you can ever get a hold of in your life. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. As a pastor of this church, there's things that I have done, things that I have been through in my life that I wished I could redo, but I can't redo them. They're water spilt on the ground. It's already drying up. I can't get them back. David... Your oldest son killed Amnon. Absalom took Amnon's life. Amnon is dead. You can't get him back. Absalom is alive. You can't undo what has been done, but you've got to do something, David. I remember when I was just a kid, there, was, there were people. I hate, I, hate to, I hate to divulge this about myself, but there were people in my school that I could not stand. I couldn't stand them. I couldn't stand bullies. I couldn't stand arrogant girls. Because I was a pretty good old boy. Don't walk by me and don't say hi to me. I'm not wanting to date you. I'm not wanting to marry you. I just want to be your friend, okay? I just want to be your friend. I'm getting mad again right now. <laughs> bullies, bullies in school, bullies in school. One of the greatest days of my life was when one of my buddies, I hate to tell this, but when one of my buddies had been whipped all year long by a guy, took taekwondo for three, three, three months in the summer every day and came back and whooped that bully. And I still wake up in the morning saying, thank God for Jimmy Crenshaw that whooped the bully one day. 
You know, you know what I'm talking about. There's things that you have done in your past that you wish you could undo, but you can't undo. But I will declare the second statement she made was even more powerful than the first. She said, however, God does not respect persons. This is verse 14. God is no respecter of person. God loves your Absalom as much as he loves your Amnon. He loves the thing that you are then as much as he loves the thing that you are now. What you are does not determine God's love for you. Where you are in life does not determine God's love for you. God loves sinners in this house just like he loves saints in this house. He loves the backslidden in this house just like he loves the preacher in this house because God loves everybody. He didn't go to the cross just for, oh, okay, I'm going for this one, this, this one. No, no, no. His love was inclusive. It was not exclusive. And when he opened his arms wide, he said, whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. I will forgive you of your sin. I want to preach to somebody today. I don't care what the world is saying. God is no respecter of person. Let me go on record in this church. Everybody matters. Everybody counts. That's the difference in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. Everybody matters. It don't matter where you come from. It don't matter what your, what your pedigree is. It don't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter what color you came from. It don't matter what creed you're out of. It don't matter if you're educated or uneducated. It does not matter. You are loved by the big one in heaven. God loves everybody. Come on, somebody help me preach right now. We must not let the spirit of the world's hate get into the church's love because everybody matters. Say amen to that. Look at your neighbor and say, you matter. Look at your other neighbor and say, you do too. And say, that preacher up there needs hair, but he matters too. (laughs) By the way, just, just a little side note. I went and played golf the other day. What's it got to do with sermon? Nothing. I'm just taking a little, little, little commercial break here. And for nine holes, I played like I did when I was in my 30s. And I, I think it's because I've been planking. I played with I played with some guys that could just absolutely play just play the fire out of golf and and uh, I really I really love them but I did I didn't want to I didn't want to be be beat down again and just come to church feeling beat down <laughs> so so God gave me a, a an ability to hit the ball the other day I hit it like I hit it when I was in my 30s and and I reminded God thank you Lord you're no respecter of persons <laughs> but then the back nine came. And I got back to being moi. <laughs> and so I think if I plank a little longer, I'm going to be stronger. And what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, you know. <laughs> Somehow that's got to fit. But I'm going I'm to keep hitting it. So the commercial's over. Now back to the regular scheduled program here. <laughs> My third thing that she, told, that she told the king, she said, he devises ways. That his banished does not remain banished from him. In other words, she said, David, are you not a king? Can't you make some laws that will bring Absalom back into your house? 
You're the one that makes the rules, David. You're the, you're, the, you're the line of the tribe of Judah in the Old Testament. You're the one that makes the rules. Can't you make a rule that will let him come back into your house? Does he have to be exiled from you forever? And that's what got David's heart. David's heart was turned upside down because she said, God's no respecter of persons. Yes, you lost your Amnon, but you still have your Absalom. Yes, you've had some fights with one child and the other child has been good all of his life. But I'm telling you, God is no respecter of person. And you as a king, David, can't you devise a means whereby your son won't be banished from your presence. And so David, David's grieving now, but he understands a woman's got him. She hit him right in the chest. She's got him. So Joab goes and talks to Absalom and said, you need to come on home to your father. You need to come on home. And the Bible said that Absalom and his family moved to a little town called Geshur, which was just outside Jerusalem, about two miles from the kingdom, about two miles from David's palace. And he lived there for a space of two years and saw not his dad's face. Now let me preach now. Let me preach. It is the job of this pastor, the job of this church, the job of this community of people at Christian Life to tell you on this Sunday morning that it's not the will of God to bring you to Geshur, to bring you nigh to the king. It is our, it is our commitment to bring you into the presence of the king. There's, there's a difference. There's a difference. I, I, I want you, you know, summer is over. Summer is over, folks. It's time to get back into school. It's time to, it's time to get your life going again. You hear me? And I want to tell you something. We don't need anybody sitting on the sideline in the fall of this year. We don't need anybody sitting on the sideline saying, boy, I wish I could be used. I wish I could be a part. I wish I could be a part of the greeting team, the, 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 the children's team, the youth team. I wish I could be a part of, of the greeting team. I wish I could be a part of the ushers or the, or, the, or, the, or the lady. I wish I could just do something in the church. I'll tell you what you can. You've got to get out of Geisher and you've got to come on to the house. Come on, come on. It's time for you to get in the presence of the King of Kings. Come on. It's time to get in his house and not just live at a distance from him and say, I'm going to be a part of this thing with everything that's in my life. It's time to get involved. It's time to get involved. I remember when I was just a kid, I never, I never dreamed, I never dreamed that I would preach the gospel. I never dreamed that I would be a, a gospel preacher. I love Jesus and a pastor that I had told me he wanted me to go to college and become a physician so I could take care of him when he was an old man. That's a great calling. I still take care of him. He's old and I still take care of him. But I remember when God told me I was going to preach this gospel. I said, God, I can't preach the gospel. There's no way I can preach the gospel. I'm I'm just a West Texas shark. I, can't, I don't know anybody. I don't have anybody. But he's no respecter of persons. And he devises means. He can fix the situation where you think that you're never going to be seen or never going to be heard. He'll fix the situation to put you right in the middle of what he wants you to do in your life. I'm going to tell everybody here, God's got plans for all of you. He's got a plan for your life just like he had a plan for my life. But you've got to get out of Geisha. You've got to get out of being near to the, to the kingdom. You've got to come on and get in the house. 
Come on, get in the house. Get where Jesus is. Get where he's at. And find out what the King of Kings can do for your life when you're wholly submitted to him. And one day, Joab said, don't you think it's about time? His barley fields got burned. And when the barley fields got burned, Absalom said, you know what? I might ought to go see my daddy. And he went and bowed himself. And his, the dad picked him up and kissed him and said, son, it's so good to see you. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Everybody needs a personal relationship. Not just a viewing relationship. Not just a visiting relationship. But a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I never knew what that was when I was a kid. I just knew it was rules and conduct and how you did things and lines drawn. But now I understand there is a power in saying he is my Lord. He is my Savior. And I preach to this beautiful August audience, men that are more brilliant than me and women, that can absolutely outscore me on any kind of test. But I'm telling you from the heart of a pastor today, you don't need to be this interviewing. You need to be right in the middle of what God has for your life. Clap your hands and rejoice in that. Amen. <laughs> David's love was stronger than a king's justice. Her father's love was stronger. One man wrote a book, he called it, You Can't Go Home Again, But You Can. You can. David welcomed home to his prodigal son. Later, the son of David will tell of another father, a father who had two sons, and the youngest wanted what belonged to him, and he went and spent it in riotous living. But when he came home, his father ran to meet him. It was called the prodigal son. God's door, folks, is always open. You hear me? And the light of eternal life is on in the hallways of hell. And when we are certain God has misplaced our zip code, he knows exactly where we are. The arm of Christ, the arm of the Lord, the anointed one is stretched for all of us today. And all the entrances and exits we make up on the stage of life, he is there. Today, today, I think he's calling home some sons and daughters from exile. You know, tomorrow is a Tomorrow is a total eclipse, total lunar eclipse tomorrow, and the, and the epicenter is in Kansas City. And we have people in our church that went to Kansas City this week because they wanted to be right there. Matt Quinn's parents live about a half a mile from where they, the real center of this whole eclipse is going to take place. And the last time, the last time I read about an eclipse in the Bible, it was when Jesus was crucified. The Bible said that for a space of about three hours, the sun didn't shine. And then the sun shone again. Can I tell you something, folks? There's going to be signs in the stars and in the heavens. Can I tell you something? Tomorrow is a sign. Tomorrow's a sign that's saying, I don't need the hate of this world crucifying me again. I need some people to fall in love with the Prince of Peace. That has come to give you joy. I'm speaking of it for the glory. Clap your hands real big. That's, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. August 21st, high noon, there's going to be an eclipse. Jesus one day, and I close, help me out. Jesus one day, one time in his life, went to a place called Tyre and Sidon. And he never went back. He never chose to go there again, but he went one time. And he found a woman 
the Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile lady, who had a daughter that was vexed with a spirit. And the disciples, this is the kind of crowd he had with him. This is the best he could choose. He chose these 12 and they said, send her away. Get her out of here. She doesn't matter. And Jesus said, you know, I'm not called but to the household of Israel. Then he went on to say, you know, it's not meat to give the children's bread to dogs. But she said, truth, Lord. Truth. But don't the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table? If I can't have the whole loaf, Lord, I'll just take a crumb. What if he hadn't gone? What if he hadn't made that trip? What if he had met the church before he met, she met the master? What if she had met the disciples before she met the Messiah? She probably wouldn't have had her daughter fixed. She probably wouldn't have given her life to the Lord. So help me as a pastor of this church, I pledge to this congregation that Jesus will be preached purely in this house as a Savior. Somebody said, you know, Pastor, I've been dodging the presence of God for a long time. I'm good. I'm shifty. You can be Ezekiel Elliott. You can. You can have the greatest moves in the world, and he's got some good ones. But I know one that can catch you from behind. His name is Jesus. And he devises means whereby his bandage shall not be expelled from his presence. I love Jesus. He went to Bethany and there was a man dead for four days. He said, take the stone away. Come forth. This generation looks dead to what we're trying to preach. But there's a coming forth going to happen before the Lord comes. You're going to see a turnaround in our world. Just write, You're going to see a turnaround in this world. Write it down. Just when you think it's the worst, God's going to devise a means. He's going to devise a means. The demonic of Gadara lived among the, lived among the caves, the tombs. Anybody he tried to talk to couldn't answer him back because they were dead. He had spirits in him, but Jesus came to the place of the grave, Mark chapter 5. And cast all those spirits out because there is a God who is no respecter of person. Hallelujah. No respecter of person, but he'll devise a means whereby you can be saved in his presence. Lift your hands and say, thank you, Lord, for the word today. Thank you for the word today. Come on, all over the house. Now clap your hands real big. Thank you.